Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Ebenezer. My name is Cal and happy Palm Sunday. I'm not sure that's the right way to acknowledge this day. Now, since we don't always celebrate the season of Lent in a formal way, Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter weekend always seem to creep up on us. And with everything this past year has held, well, 2021 is now no different. However, this season is arguably the most important season in the Christian calendar. And so we should and we need to take time to reflect, to remember, and to celebrate what Jesus did for us on the cross. So, if you have not yet had time to reflect on this season, I hope our worship service today will help you move towards that as we prepare for Easter weekend. So let's begin by reading one of the accounts of the Palm Sunday story. Now for this morning, we'll use John's account as our text. If you have your Bibles, open them and follow along as I read John 12, 12 to 13. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. A Palm Sunday commemorates the entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem during the time of Passover and ushers in what we refer today as Holy Week, where each day marks a significant event leading up to the crucifixion and death of Christ on Good Friday and then his resurrection on Easter Sunday. The account of Palm Sunday is one of those few events recorded in all four Gospels. And obviously there are different ways to approach Palm Sunday, different ways to preach on Palm Sunday. But when I look at Palm Sunday, I see a people, mostly Jewish people, celebrating Jesus with all of this pomp and circumstance and enthusiasm, but not really understanding who they were celebrating and not understanding what Jesus came to do. At best, it's a misguided celebration, which then raised false hopes and false expectations of both Jesus and the people. Now, last year I spoke on Palm Sunday as well, and I focused on the people's expectations of the peace that they thought Jesus was going to bring, and Jesus revealing himself, actually not the the peace that they were looking for, but a, a true and eternal source of peace, providing that peace through his work on the cross. Now, this morning for Palm Sunday, Our focus will be on victory, the victory brought by Jesus and what that victory means for us today. Now, is victory important to you? If you're a competitive person, like myself, either when you were younger or even now, there are times when the urge to win can simply overwhelm you, right? If you're a parent, there are times when you let your kids win a race or a game or an arm wrestle or whatever, but then there are times where you just cannot let them win. And then, of course, comes a time when you can't win, even if you're trying to. In sports, we're always cheering for our team to win. In life, we want to win that award or that promotion or get that recognition for a job well done or uh, accomplishments in a class at school. 
For many, longing and striving for victory is a part of who we are as human beings, and sometimes we'll do whatever it takes to gain victory. But even if you don't consider yourself to be a competitive person, there are still some base, fundamental, and foundational areas of our lives in which we all hope to be victorious in. We want to know if the path of life we've chosen, the beliefs we've adopted, the values we hold, and the choices we make are right and true. We want to know whether our life will count for something when it eventually comes to an end. We want to overcome the things of life and in life that drag us down, that often enslave us and keep us from living the life that we truly desire. We want victory. In some ways, we all long for it, and we need it. One of the wildest finishes to an NHL game occurred on January 4, 2007, in a game between the Edmonton Oilers and the Dallas Stars. Edmonton was in front for most of the game, leading 2-0 after the first period and 4-2 after the second period. But in the third period, things began to fall apart. Dallas scored two goals to tie it up and then a third goal to take a 5-4 lead. And Dallas held that lead right up until the very last minute and it looked like they were well on their way to victory. Edmonton pulled their goalie and with 10 seconds left, the Oilers, desperate to score the tying goal, started to move the puck up the ice. Patrick Stefan of Dallas actually picked off an Euler pass at the blue line, at the, at the Euler blue line, and skated unchallenged to the Oilers' empty net. Surely this was it. Game over. But then this happened. Maybe one last gasp here for the Oilers. Bergeron fans on a pass. Stefan steals and he'll ice it. Oh, at least I thought he was going to until he blew it. That's unbelievable. Here come the Oilers the other way, and Hemsky's loose. Hemsky, he scored! Can you believe what we just saw? Amazing. Edmonton scores a tying goal with a mere two and a half seconds remaining. It's awesome if you're an Oilers fan. But what doesn't often get remembered is that the Oilers ended up losing that game in a shutout. Exciting as that last few seconds was, in the end, it was a loss. Now, I realize there are many, uh, likely, many more Oilers fans listening to this than Stars fans. And I'm not really a fan of either team, but I do have a reason to start following the Stars a little more. Shout out to the Delandria family. But put yourself in the mindset of the Dallas Stars and a Dallas Star fan. Here they are, behind for much of the game. In the final minutes, now they are finally leading, and it looks like victory is theirs. When Patrick Stefan heads towards that empty net, it seems as though victory is now assured. Then the unthinkable happens, and the game is tied and in question. Now, I'm sure throughout overtime, Dallas fans and Dallas players alike would have been on the edge of their seats with every Oilers shot, every Oilers scoring chance. And then the shootout comes, which really is a coin toss. And finally, Dallas wins it. And it is only then that Dallas fans fully realize and fully experience the thrill of victory. Victory that at one time seemed sure, then all of a sudden looked to be a defeat, and then was fully realized. A Palm Sunday is so named because of the palm branches the people laid on the road in front of Jesus, as well as waved when Jesus went by. In ancient times, one of the major symbols of the palm branch or symbolisms of the palm branch was that of victory. In Greek culture, palm leaves were the symbol of Nike, the goddess of victory, and palms were presented to victorious Olympic athletes. 
In other biblical references, palm leaves and palm branches were printed on coins. And Solomon even had palm branches carved into the walls and doors of the temple. As Jesus approached Jerusalem for Passover, the people recognized him as the Messiah, the one who has come to save them. And so they cut down these palm branches from the nearby trees. They lined the road with them and waved them as a sign that Jesus has come to save them, as a sign of victory. They are anticipating the victory of Christ over their Roman oppressors and, the, and freedom from the uh, Roman rule. Now remember what the people shouted as Jesus went by? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Hosanna is sometimes translated as save us. But a better definition is actually save us now. Save us now. The Jewish people had a very one-dimensional view and expectation of victory. They expected Jesus to be victorious in the immediate, in the here and now. So you can imagine their shock and surprise just five days later when Jesus hung on the cross, crucified at the hands of their Roman oppressors and their Roman enemies. What they thought was sure victory just a few days ago now appeared to be a crushing defeat. Now, we know now that Jesus was not defeated, even though the victory the people thought they wanted was not the victory that Jesus provided. The apparent defeat of Jesus, his suffering, his death on the cross, actually made Jesus victor victorious. And in the victory of Jesus, and in the victory of Jesus isn't something that happened in just the past. Jesus' victory is past, future, and present. And that's what I want to look at this morning. Jesus, victor, victorious, past, future, and present. First, Jesus, victor, victorious, the past. As mentioned 2,000 years or so ago, Jesus made what we call his triumphal entry into Jerusalem amidst the shouts, the cheers, and the praise of the Jewish people. They wanted and expected him to be victorious over their Roman oppressors. They waved palm branches in anticipation of this great victory. But that's not the victory that Jesus came for. That's not the victory that Jesus came to provide. Jesus came to free us from something much greater. Even before Jesus was born, this is what the angel of the Lord revealed to Jesus' father, Joseph. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, the angel of the Lord says this to Joseph. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' victory was first over sin, sin, disobedience to God, and the death and eternal separation from God that results from sin. John 3.16, which many of us know well, says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Romans 6 verse 23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Peter 2 verse 24 says, He himself, referring to Jesus, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, by Jesus' wounds, you have been healed. Jesus willingly allowed himself to be arrested, unjustly tried, and hung on that cross 
so that he would have victory over sin and death, and so that through him we could have that same victory for our lives. And as Jesus hung on that cross, beaten, bruised, bleeding, as he breathed what people thought was his last breath, as Satan and Jesus' enemies thought they were victorious, Jesus actually won the battle, taking our sin upon himself, taking the punishment and paying in full God's righteous penalty for sin, and it is only through the victorious work of Christ on the cross that we can have our sins forgiven, our relationship with God restored, and anticipate an eternity in His presence. The victory of of Jesus Christ's past gives us victory over sin and death and entry into a right relationship with God. Second, Jesus, victor, victorious, the future. Now let me take you to another passage of Scripture which also references palm branches. If you have your Bibles again, turn to Revelation chapter 7 and let me follow along as I read verses 9 to 10. Here we read John's vision of the future when Christ returns. And this is what Revelation 7 says. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The symbolism symbolism of palm branches here is the same as what we just discussed on Palm Sunday. Victory and triumph. Jesus in the end, in the future, will also be victor, victorious. Do you remember the significance of October 23, 1993? That was a date that the Toronto Blue Jays won their second and second in a row World Series championship. I remember that night well, not not because of the game. I remember that night well because Michelle and I were actually out that evening and we had set at that time our VCR to record the game. Now for those of you who don't know what a VCR is, it's a video cassette recorder. It's the way we used to record TV shows so we can watch them later. We had set our VCR to record the game anticipating that we would watch it later on. Now, what happened was, on our way home, we had turned the radio off to make sure that we wouldn't hear the score of the game because we wanted to watch the game uh, when we got home. But as we turned from Circle Drive onto 8th Street, the whooping, the car honking, the celebration, the people in the streets already told us who won. It was clear the Blue Jays had won that game and were World Series champions for a second time. Uh, We went back and we watched the game anyway. But it's different watching a game knowing what the outcome was going to be. When the Blue Jays were down, we didn't panic. When the Phillies looked like that they were going to score, looked like they, they had the game at hand, we didn't panic. When things didn't seem to go our way, we didn't worry about it because we knew the eventual outcome. Now, if you're in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you can rest assured that in the end, Jesus wins. The challenges, the trials, the difficulties, and and even the tragedies of life now can be put in the perspective of the eventual and inevitable future and final victory of Jesus. And because Jesus wins, those who are Christ's followers win. One day, Jesus will return to establish His heavenly kingdom, 
A kingdom described this way in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The victory of Jesus Christ's future gives us assurance that one day all things will be made right. Now let me just pause for a moment and take a moment to speak directly to you if you're here or if you're watching and you, yet not, and you haven't yet entered into a relationship with God through Jesus. If you haven't acknowledged your sinfulness, confessed your sin, and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you're not yet a Christ follower, or if you're not sure, let me just encourage you this morning. Make that decision and take the step today, right now. You see, Easter is not about bunnies or chocolate eggs. Its focus is not on family gatherings and turkey dinners. Easter is about the victory of Jesus Christ. Victory over sin and death. Easter is about the assurance we have in Jesus about the future as Christ returns victorious to establish His kingdom and His reign. Romans 10 verse 9 simply says this, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can make that decision right now and start living in the victory of Jesus. Finally, Jesus' victory was not only a victory of the past in His work on the cross, nor is it only a victory of the future when He returns. It is a victory of the present. While many of us might know in our minds that Jesus was victorious in the past and will ultimately be victorious in the future, we don't always consider the significance of that for today. And we don't live victoriously in the presence, in the present. If we live only in the perspective of Jesus' victory past, I think our tendency will be towards complacency. We receive God's free gift of salvation. And since the price and penalty for sin has been paid, we live in the present the way we want. We strive to accomplish our goals and to fulfill our desires. Our future security and glory is something we are now entitled to because maybe we said a prayer by our bedside years ago. It's like the lyrics to that song by the Beatles. She got a ticket to ride, but she don't care. Now, a victory, a victory past only perspective leaves us in the presence, then battling with things like selfishness and consumerism and individualism. But on the flip side, if we, only, if we live only in the perspective of Jesus' victory in the future, our tendency, I think, will be towards feeling inadequate. You see, this future image of sinlessness and true sanctification, of glory and of beauty, is something that we feel today we can never attain or even make progress towards. I've got too much in my life for God to forgive me or to allow God to, to work in me to change me. 
There's too much sin, too much habitual sin that I can't seem to get out of. There's too much brokenness in my life or broken relationships in my life. There's too many failures. God could never change me. And even if he could, he probably doesn't even want to. But here's the truth. The victory of God, past and future, moves us and allows us to live in the victory of Jesus present. But the question that follows then, of course, is how? How does the past victory of Jesus and the future victory of Jesus enable us to experience the present victory of Jesus in our lives today? Well, this is how I would say it. The past victory of Christ and His work on the cross gives us the identity and power, a new identity and a new power to become what God desires us to be. The future victory of Jesus, as described by John in Revelation, gives us a picture of what God desires us to be and it's molding us to become. To live victoriously in the present, we need to live in the new identity and the new power of Jesus' victory from the past and allow God to shape us, becoming what is described in Jesus' victory in the future. I think this is what Paul means when he says in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ's victory past gives us a new identity as children of God, and the gift of the Holy Spirit gives us the power to live fully in that identity. It's our identity in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to, to die to those three things that I just mentioned, selfishness and consumerism and individualism, and, allows, and, and allowing the power, the victory of Christ, to have its way in us so we can become what Christ's victory in the future describes, calls, and desires us to be. Now, the vision of heaven we looked at in Revelation 7 gives us three components of who God calls us to be. Let me just reread that for us. Revelation 7, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So three parts of this visual picture I want us to see. First, the white robes. Second, the cry of the people. And three, the multitude of people. First, the white robes. White robes represent the holiness and purity of the people. And it is these people who are holding the palm branches, celebrating the victory of Jesus' future. Now I get it. Holiness and purity will only be made complete in the lives of Christ's follower when Christ returns. But in the present, we need to allow the victory of Jesus' past, our new identity and the power of the Holy Spirit, to work in us, guiding us towards that Christ-likeness, that transformation into the image of Jesus. Romans 12 verse 2 tells us, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So let me ask you then, how serious are you? How serious am I? How serious are we about holiness and purity in our lives? How intentional are you to allow the Holy Spirit to work and to probe each and every corner of your life? And how willing are you to confess and to repent and to do what it takes to move forward from our sinful ways? Yes, the world surrounds us with sin and the temptation to sin. 
the world and others around us tempt us to compromise and to cut corners. It makes light of sin and it makes excuses for sin. But Christ has given us, through his past victory, a new identity and a new power to live victoriously over sin in the presence so we can become what Christ calls us to in his victory future. Second, I want to draw our attention to the cry of the people in this image. In Revelation, the people holding the palm branches are shouting, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And in essence, they are giving praise to God and praise to His Son, Jesus. They're worshiping. The simplest way to describe worship is declaring the worthiness of of God and declaring praise to God. And there, there are many ways that we can do that. There are many ways we ought to do that. It's too bad today that we often equate worship with singing. But worship encompasses all of our lives. In fact, it's, where we, it's what we are created to do. Now, Scripture is filled with this truth about us being created. In fact, all of creation made to worship God. But for now, let me just read for us Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All of creation, and especially you and I, are created to worship God. Christ's victory past gives us a new identity and a new power to become what Christ's victory future calls us to be, a worshiping people. In heaven, in the future, worship is all we will do. So on earth, in the present, all we do needs to be worship. So again, let me ask you, do you see all of your life as worship? Or or do you compartmentalize your life into neat little boxes? We need to see ourselves as a worshiping people, and therefore every part of our lives is an opportunity to worship God. In our work, in our play, in our relationships, in our relaxation, on a Sunday morning service, everything is worship. Christ has given us through His past victory a new identity, and a new power to live victoriously in worship in the presence so we can become what God calls us to in His victory future. And third, I want to draw our attention to the multitude of the people gathered. A multitude so great, Revelation says that no one could count them. And a multitude comprised of people from every nation, of every tribe, of every people, and of every language. This multitude of the victory of Jesus' future shows us this an unwavering and unswerving commitment to God's mission. Jesus' final words to his disciples, to his followers, and to us is this, go and make disciples of all nations. But what did Jesus say just before? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. He's given us this new identity and new power. And then how does Jesus finish? He says, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Jesus will be with us and he will help us see it through right to the very end. Now in our shift sermon series, which we just wrapped up last week, I had the privilege of speaking on our need for a mission shift 
shifting from an understanding and a practice of mission as something we do to missional as something we are. And then our activities flow from that new identity. If we only see the Great Commission as activity, then it becomes a choice whether we engage with it or not. It, like worship, becomes segmented from the rest of our lives. We see then missions or outreach or evangelistic activities and programs as just that, activities and programs, and engage only when we want to, or when our time allows, or when we feel comfortable. But the victory of Jesus' past, our new identity and our new power, grows in us a missional identity, individually and together, and we live the Great Commission in whatever context God has sent us to, and the victory of Jesus' future then becomes realized. Missional living becomes intentional, not additional, and like holiness and worship, becomes the very center and foundation of who we are in Jesus. Christ has given us, through His past victory, a new identity and a new power to live victoriously in mission in the present so we can bring the nations to God in the victory of Jesus' future. The victory of Jesus' past, His life culmination with His victory on the cross, gives us a new identity and new power to live victoriously in the present, holy, worshipful, and missional so we can join fully in the victory of Jesus' future when He returns and claims full victory over all creation. This morning, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, let us live in the fullness of the victory of Jesus. You know, I think this is what Paul meant when he said in Philippians 3, verses 10 to 11, All I want is to know Christ and the power that raised Him to life. I want to suffer and die as He did, so that somehow I also may be raised to life. May the palm branches of Palm Sunday remind us of Jesus' past victory. May they help us anticipate Jesus' future victory. But perhaps most importantly, may they guide us to live in the identity and power of Jesus' present victory. Let me close in prayer. Father, this morning, this Palm Sunday morning, as we enter into Holy Week, a remembrance and a celebration of what you did for us on the cross, that you chose to suffer and die on our behalf. Father, we want to claim the victory that is ours through you. Father, let us not be misguided by the victory that you provided, but let us recognize that you provided victory over sin and death, one day you will return to claim victory over all creation. You will reign and rule over all things. And in the present, Father, you have given us a new identity and a new power to live victorious lives. Father, may we live in the fullness of your victory so that we can truly become your people, set aside for your purposes. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.